what a privilege to serve you guys. Well, remember yesterday? You've slept since then, but uh, remember yesterday. Sunday school hour. Remember the Sunday school hour? We were in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and we talked about where in the world do I start? Where do I start? And then if you were in the Sunday morning service, we were examining that passage where the Bible says, Walk not as other Gentiles walk, put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. And I preached to us about what do I need? What do I need? And then last night, what did I title last night? I can't even remember now. What can I do today? That's right. Joshua 24. What am I going to do now? Where can I, what can I do? What can I do right now to get me started on the right path to having revival in my life and in my family? Tonight I'm in Deuteronomy 6. Now, if you preach very often on the family, if you preach very often at all, you will find yourself in Ephesians. Ephesians is probably the most detailed New Testament book about how to have a successful Christian life and a happy and successful Christian home. If you go to the Old Testament, undoubtedly, you'd wind up in Deuteronomy 6 eventually, if not right away. This is a book that you ought to master. This is a chapter, rather, that you ought to master. In the same way that I would say to you, if you're going to succeed as a believer, you ought to read the sixth, uh, six chapters of Ephesians and master them, work on them, pray over them, emphasize them, underline them, highlight them, memorize them, apply them to your life. Ephesians is a key book on how to have a happy, successful Christian life. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a key chapter with some great principles about how to have a blessed and successful uh, Christian life and Christian home as well. Are you there? I'm going to begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And aren't you excited? I have seven points tonight to this message. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you glad we started at 630? Uh, you'll still get home by 10. Isn't that encouraging? All right. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 1. You follow along. These three, three verses we'll start with, the first three verses. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now that's just the introduction to the chapter, but notice a couple of things I want to highlight for you. Why does God give us these commands, these statutes, these judgments, which we ought to obey and do? Why? And he tells us in the second verse, because he's interested in our families. Did you catch that? Really, he's interested in three different categories. You, so you say, well, I don't have a family. You're in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 2. He's interested in you. Well, I'm not married. He's interested in you. I'm just a teenager. He's interested in you. If you're raising children, he's interested in your children, which is why he says, I'm writing this to you. That's everybody in the room. No matter where you are, what's going on, it's you. And I'm writing to your sons, that's your children, you that are parents, he's writing about your family. Then he says, and your sons' sons, that's your grandchildren. Now let's just think of it like this. You ready? Help me out here. How many of you are here tonight? Would you raise your hand if you're here tonight? All right, if you're here. Now, some of you aren't here, that worries me. So get here because we need you here, all right? So all of us, all of us fit the first category. How many of you have children? Raise your hand good night if you have children. Now he's talking about you. 
How many of you have, this is a good one, grandchildren? Let me see your hand. If you got grandchildren, raise it good and high. Now be honest, we got a couple of teenagers in the back with grandchildren. How about that? Uh, if you have grandchildren, how many of you like your grandchildren better than your children? Anybody here like that? Quite a, quite a few hands I saw going up and a few children raising grandparents' hands. Yep, there they are. I've been told that's how it is. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, ask me about my grandchildren. And I learned that's not a good idea. Unless you've got plenty of time to look at photos and, and talk up a storm and hang around people. Uh, my, uh, my dad, I, I remember, uh, this is even a terrible person to quote based on recent news and all, but I remember years ago seeing a Bill Cosby show. Remember the old Bill Cosby show? And Bill Cosby was talking to his kids about his mom, their grandmother. And he said to his children, that woman is not the mom I knew. He said, that's an old woman trying to get into heaven. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's one way of looking at it, isn't it? And I'll never forget that line because the fact of the matter is, grandparenting, I've been told, is the reward God gives you for not killing your children. And uh, so grandparenting is a great blessing, I, I, I'm, I'm told. And, and Lord willing, Lord willing, sometime in the next three or four or five years, I'll be one. Keep telling my kids. The debate in our family is, what are we going to call? What are we going to call Daddy when he has grandchildren? I want to be called grandfather. And uh, so the kids are are saying, not on your life. They're refusing that. But don't you think I look like a good grandfather? And I've always joked and said, don't you tell anybody this. All right, don't tell anybody this. But my grandfather smoked a pipe. And uh, he always had that cherry tobacco. I'm against cigarettes and tobacco, but to this day I can smell a pipe like that and it brings, just floods my heart with warm memories of my grandpa. So I've always told the kids, when I have a grandchild, I'm gonna start smoking a pipe, which is not true. Just, 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 it's a joke in the family. But I love the idea of what this passage is saying. Are you here tonight? You're in Deuteronomy 6. Do you have a family? You're especially in Deuteronomy 6. Do you have grandchildren? You're in Deuteronomy 6. You know what the lesson here is? That every one of us are responsible for three generations. Every one of us. I'm responsible for me. You teenagers here tonight, boys and girls, look at me. It's important that right now you learn how to walk with God and do right. Listen to me, boys and girls and teenagers. It's important that you learn to walk with God right now. Do right. Give your life to Jesus. Develop some character in your life. Nothing wrong with being a teenager. Nothing wrong with being a boy or girl. We expect you to be normal. But the fact of the matter is, this is a prime time in your life to learn how to walk with God. To learn how to have purity in your heart and, and learn how to work hard. I tell teenagers all the time, hey, you know what, you're a teenager now, act like it. Now, I don't mean act like a worldly teenager, but act like a Christian teenager. The dishes need to be done, get her done without being told. The house need to be cleaned up, clean it up without being asked. The yard need to be mowed, get her done without daddy having to harass you. Learn how to work, learn how to lead, learn how to be a godly teenager because the Bible starts with you. Every one of us are responsible for us. Maybe you're a dad in the room tonight and you're a failure. Wouldn't be a surprise. There's a lot of failures in our generation. Do you want to know something? You ought to start with you. Say, you know what? I failed long enough. I'm going to straighten up. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to win. You know why? You know why so many divorces uh, end in, in uh, how many marriage, so many marriages end in divorces? And how many, how, you know why so many second marriages also end in divorce? Because a person who fails in the first marriage doesn't correct the problems that caused the failure in the first marriage, and they just carry that same failure into a second marriage, and that marriage typically ends in divorce. And so, you know what they tell us? Some marriage statisticians have it so high, they'll say that 50% of first marriages end in divorce. That rate's gone down a little bit. It's in the 40s now. Some will say 75% of second marriages end in divorce. That's down now like to 68 
and some will say 100% of third ones. Now, I know exceptions, so I know it's not true. I know exceptions. But here's the reason why that happens, because we don't take care of ourselves. We don't start and say, what's wrong in my life? What can I do differently? How can I be better? What can I work on? How can I grow? What can I change? It's got to start with you. But you've also got to carry the next generation. All of you parents that are here, you are very important in the plan of God because you're to reach your children with the gospel. You know what, church? Listen to me. If the only thing the church did, if the only thing the church ever did was have a family and reach their children so that all of their children loved the Lord and served the Lord and grew up and honored God and lived for God and served God, did you know that the church would be bigger in every single generation? But you know that almost never happens? These are the best and worst days in my life. I love being an evangelist. I'm 25 years into full-time evangelism. And I'm at that age of my life where I'm preaching in our biggest churches in the country. And they're smaller than they've ever been. Every one of them. Rarely. I shouldn't say every one of them. But rarely am I in a church that is at the pinnacle of its, its size. Most of them. I've been in many churches in the last two years that seat a thousand and run 200. I preached in one church that seated 2,500. And the Sunday night service had 88. You know how hard it is to preach in a 2,500 seat auditorium with 88 people there? Not even a shotgun can hit all them. You heard about a shotgun sermon, right, where you're just firing everything. You can't do it. It's the a, it's a, it's a best and worst days of my life. It tells us how we're failing. God's called me and you not to fail, but to win with our children. You that are raising young children, uh, you ought to be back the rest of the week because I'm going to have at least one sermon and tell you, tell you what the Bible says about how to get your children on the right track. You grandparents that are here tonight, you're also responsible for another generation. You, your sons, and your son's sons. God wants me to be right so that my children will be right so that my grandchildren will be right. And here's how it works. Think about it. I have, I have five. Abby, Josh, Matt, Jake, and Charity. God's plan is that Bethany and I would so succeed that Abby, Josh, Matt, Jake, and Charity would all know the Lord and love Him, live for Him, and have a happy Christian marriage. Wouldn't it be great, just, just, just suppose, let's make up a scenario. What if God helped Beth and me to succeed and all five of our children marry godly, amazing, wonderful Christian spouses and have five kids of their own? You know how many grandchildren I'll have? 25. Just in my family, 25 grandchildren. Now what if... What if Beth and I succeeded so well that our children succeeded so well that all 25 of those grandchildren loved God and served God and lived for God all the days of their life and all 25 of them got married to wonderful, godly Christian spouses and had five children of their own? You know how many great, great grandchildren? You know how many great grandchildren I'd have? 125. That's a lot of grandchildren. It's bigger than most churches were yesterday morning in, in, in Baptist churches around the country, in my family, in four generations. See, you're that important. Have you ever thought of your life as that important? So I just go to work. I'm just paying the bills. No, you're not. you got a whole future ahead of you. Your children's future's ahead of you. Your children's children's future's ahead of you. If 125 great-grandchildren in my life, if I did so well that my children did so well that my grandchildren did so well, 
that my great-grandchildren did so well that all 125 of them grew up and got married to a wonderful, godly Christian spouse and had five children of their own. That's realistic. Many families in the church can have five children or more. I would have 625 great-great-grandchildren in my family. That's bigger than most churches I preach in. Just in a few generations. I'm just telling you, you're that important. And so here's what Moses says. Why am I writing this to you? Because you're important. That's the first thing I want to tell you. Why am I writing this to you? Because you're important. You've got to walk with God. You've got to love God. You've got to serve God. You've got to give your life to God. You've got to do what's right because your children need it. And your grandchildren need it. Man, you're important tonight. Your family's important. Your children are important. Your grandchildren are important. Deuteronomy 6 says so. And here's the other reason why he's writing it to us. In the third verse, he says, Here, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be what? Y'all got your Bible open? That it may be what? That it may be well with thee. Now, nobody here but us. I asked you a moment ago, how many of you are here? I want to know now another question. Here's, here, here's the question. How many of you want it to be well with you? Is that a silly question or what? Sure, I want it to be well with me. Here's why Moses is writing what he's writing. I'm going to tell you how it can be well with you. I'm going to tell you how it can be well with your children. I'm going to tell you how it can be well with your grandchildren. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 gives us seven vital steps in building a Christian home and having a a successful life. So you teens that are here tonight, you don't have a family, but take these seven steps. You moms and dads that are here tonight, you may, not, you may not have everything together, but you can take these seven steps, and let's jump right in, and I'll get you out on time. Is that a deal? Here, here's, here's the first one, all right? I'm going to throw it on the screen for you. The first one I found in verse 2, and it's pretty simple, and here it is. All right, let me turn my, my clicker on and advance us. Here's the first one. Now, is that simple or what? Know God fearfully. I find that in verse 2. Because here's what he says, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. Can I say it in modern English? Fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. Notice your God, thy God, your God. So he's got to be yours. Know God. You got to know God. And the key word here is fearfully. It's a unique word, isn't it? We talked about it a little bit last night, so I'm not going to park on it long tonight. You know what it is to be afraid. You ever been afraid you'll lose your job or afraid you'll get caught? Remember that? When you were younger, were you ever afraid you'll get caught? I'm not going to do that. I used to, I used to think like this. I'm not going to do that because if I got caught, my dad would kill me. Did you have a dad like that? My dad will kill me if I get caught. I'm not doing it. I'd have friends say, hey, you want to sneak off? <laughs> not on your life. I like me. If I were to get caught, I'd meet Jesus, and I, I wasn't ready to meet Jesus yet. I want to live a while. Now, I'm being obviously a little bit silly, but the fact of the matter is, I know what it is to fear. And it wasn't that I was around my dad always, oh, it wasn't that at all. It was I had a healthy respect for the fact that if I do wrong, I'm going to pay for it, but if I do right, I'm going to be happy for it. That's the idea of this word fear. It's a great word. It means to stand in awe. It means to be in silent shock. It really, really can be summed up better with the word respect or reference. Uh, know, know the Lord your God with great reverence, with great respect. Do you ever think about your relationship with God? He knows everything, doesn't he? He's an amazing God, isn't he? Think about what he knows. He knows what I do. He knows what I do not do. He knows why I do what I do. 
He knows why I do not do what I do not do. He knows what I would do if I could. He knows what I would not do if I did not have to. He knows what I, he, he knows my dreams and my schemes. He knows my successes and my failures. He just knows it all. And I got to give an account to him someday. And the fact of the matter is everybody in this room right now, look at me. Everybody in this room right now is being blessed by God because you're serving him and loving him and honoring him or you're under the curse of God. You notice how often the Bible speaks like that? The Bible says in the New Testament, the Bible says that God resists. We were there yesterday morning, weren't we? Sunday school. God resists the proud. You want to be stiff-armed by God? Then just don't serve Him. Don't live for Him. Just go through the motions. But God's called you to something better than that. God's called you to love Him and, and, and serve Him and live for Him. Fear the Lord your God. You've got to know God fearfully. I guess we even ought to back up there a little bit and just ask tonight, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? Have you been born again through Jesus Christ? Are you saved by grace through faith? See, Jesus died for your sins, teenagers and boys and girls. Nobody goes to heaven because they go to church. You've got to be born again through Jesus Christ. Boys and girls, teenagers, do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your God and your Savior? Jesus died for your sins, for my sins. And He was buried and He was raised from the dead. The way to know God is through Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You've got to be saved through Jesus. Teenagers, has there been a definite time in your life that you turn to Jesus Christ and you know for sure that he saved you from your sins and gave you eternal life. Moms and dads, do you know that for sure? Gentlemen, ladies, do you know that for sure? you got to know God fearfully, but knowing God goes beyond being saved. It's getting to know Him and walk with Him and serve Him and, and, and understand Him. That's one of the reasons I love these newer songs. Uh, some of the newer songs I don't like. Sometimes I'll hear a newer song and I think, are you kidding me? Isn't that right, kids? We'll turn on our radio and, 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 and like every third song, I'm like, oh, my word, mute. Oh, my word. But every other song, too, there's one that, wow, that's really good. That was a good one there tonight, that last one we sang. I love those songs, In Christ Alone, and all those new ones that have great doctrinal truth to them. I want to know that God. He's full of love. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. I want to walk with him and know it. Know God fearfully. That's where it starts. Let me hasten, because there's a second one here. Look at the phrase in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. How many of you all recognize those words, do you? That is a uh, theological statement. The Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. A Jewish synagogue would say that over and over again. The Lord our God is one Lord. That's a very important verse to the Jews. It's also a very important verse theologically. There's only one God. That's what it's trying to say. There's only one God. He's the creator God. He's almighty God. There's not many gods. There's one God. The Hindus have it wrong. There's not many gods. Just pick one of them and serve them all and hope everything turns out okay. There's not many gods. There's one God. He made the universe. He's almighty God. His name is Jehovah. His name is Jesus. He's the one God. Y'all believe that, don't you? But this is bigger than theology. What this verse means on a practical sense is that you ought to keep God first. 
He didn't just throw that in there so we could have a theological statement for our seminary students. He threw this in here to say to you, you know what? You want my blessings in your life? Then you've got to know me fearfully. And you want my blessings in your life and in your home? Then you've got to keep God first. That's what he's trying to say here. He's the only God there is, and you better keep him first. Isn't that truth taught often in our Bible? The truth of priorities? The Bible says in Matthew 6, you know, Jesus alludes to this. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Y'all know that verse? Where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is God first in your life, in your marriage, in your home? That's a valid question. If God's first in your life, you can have his blessings and favor. And if he's not, you can't. You want things to be well with you and your children and your grandchildren, then God has to be first. Keep God first. That'll be true in our priorities. Paul said, for to me, help me out with this, for to me to live is Christ's priorities. God is first. For to me to live is Christ. Uh, Paul said to the church at Colossae, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. God has to be first in a Christian home if I'm going to have his blessings in my life. Is there any evidence, let me ask it like this, is there any evidence in your life and home that God is first? What could you point to and say, yes, God is first, and here's why I can show you God is first. I made a little list, just for instance. When's the last time you said no? Because God is first. No. Can't watch that. Because we're a Christian home. Sorry, kids, you can't go there. Because we're a Christian home. You can't say that. That's not pleasing to God. God's first in our family. We don't talk like that. When's the last time you said no? Is there any evidence that God is first? You teenagers, why do you kids go to a public school? Is God first? Is God first in your life? I mean, when you're at the lunch table, do you ever pray for your meal? You should. Is God first? You ever take a stand for God? Is God first? When I got saved, I was in a public high school. I was a sophomore in Wartburg, Tennessee at Central High School. Got myself a Schofield King James Bible because that's what my preacher told me to get. He said, you got to get a Schofield King James Bible. I didn't know who Schofield was, didn't know who King James was, but got his Bible. I didn't have a clue about any of it. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew I needed a Bible, and that's what kind of said to get. So I went to this bookstore and said, uh, I need a, a Bible. I think it's written by King James and somebody named Schofield. And the lady said, well, I do have a Schofield King James Bible, and, and uh, I got it. And years later found out that King James didn't write it at all, and Schofield didn't write it either. And yet that was my Bible, a little black Bible, Schofield King James Bible. I carried it to school every day. Had it on every one of my desks. I had a teacher that made fun of it all the time, ridiculed it, laughed at me. Oh, my word, he said, there's the preacher carrying his Bible. I wasn't even a preacher then. I was just trying to be a good Christian. Carried my Bible to school. I remember the day Michael Potter committed suicide. Committed suicide one evening. Next morning, I went into school not knowing that. I had my Bible with me. That same teacher that ridiculed me, mocked me, and made fun of me, I went into his classroom. I noticed everybody was acting odd. Nobody's talking. Kids are crying. I knew something was up. Didn't know what it was. And, and then I just I went into the first hour of class. I, a friend of mine said, did you hear about Michael? Michael was my neighbor, and I didn't even know he'd, he'd killed himself. Boy, it was heartbreaking. I remember my, my heart just, I remember even being at his funeral, and and, and that lump in my throat, I couldn't believe my friend had killed himself. Had no idea. Found out later his mom and dad were going through a terrible problem and the home was a mess and, and he just took his life. His dad wailed at the funeral in a way that I think I'll never forget. I can still hear those wails and just the, 
sorrow in his dad's heart. Sitting in first hour, that teacher who had ridiculed me and laughed at me and made fun of me said, uh, Dave, he said, did you bring your Bible? I said, uh, yes, sir. He said, well, let me have it. And he opened my Bible in front of my class in my public school to the 23rd Psalm and read to us the 23rd Psalm and made some comments on it and told us that, that Michael was going to be okay. Here was a guy who said he was an atheist but stood in front of our class and told us that Michael was going to be okay because God walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. I remember sitting there in awe. It was comforting to my heart. Is there any evidence in your life? God's first. Is there any evidence at all? When's the last time you turned off the TV? Because God is first. Turn on a program. Next thing you know, there's somebody taking God's name in vain. Click. Can't watch that. I'm a Christian. When's the last time you've been halfway through a movie? and Can't watch that. I'm a Christian. Any evidence that God is first? When's the last time you gave something up? Because God is first. I'm going to give that up. God's first. I've got to give that up. I preached a revival at a church in Indiana several years ago, and it was a, a good church, and we had a great meeting. And I'd never been there before, didn't know anything about it, and showed up and was a little caught off guard. It was a huge place. And uh, I was also caught off guard because the church had a 16-piece drum set on this side of the platform, and uh, it, was, it was a pretty hopping, hopping service. And I wasn't used to that. I wasn't used to that at all. Not, not, you know, I don't, my church didn't like that. And, and uh, you know, I... I had never been in a church that had drums like that, and yet I found out it's a great church. And people love the Lord, and they were real soul winners and spirit-filled. And man, what a revival! There was one lady, one lady Wednesday night services were Sunday through Wednesday night, and Sunday morning I called on the church to make a promise to God: anything you say to me, I will do in this revival. And Sunday night or Wednesday night before the service, I was in the middle of four rows of pews in this big building, and this way about five minutes before the service started, this lady caught me in the middle row, and she's an older lady. And she said, Brother Young, can I talk to you a moment? Yes, ma'am. I said, you sure can. And she said, you know, Brother Young, Sunday morning, I got on my knees in the revival service, and I told God I would do anything he told me to do in these four days of this revival. And I meant it. So she said, I came home this afternoon from work, and I sat down to do something I've done my entire adult life. I've done this my entire adult life. And here's what she said. She said, she said I sat down to watch my favorite soap opera. Now, I confess to you, that I didn't even know they still existed. I thought, I thought those things died years ago. Here she is still watching them. I had no idea. I didn't preach about it because I didn't even know they were. If I'd have known, I might have preached about it, but I didn't know, so I didn't. And she said, I sat down to watch my favorite soap opera, and she said, Brother Young, she said, God definitely spoke to my heart this afternoon in my house that he wanted me to give that up because it wasn't pleasing to him. Now, here's the deal. I didn't say anything about it, but God was leading her. She started crying. That's what I remember. That's why I'm telling this story. She started crying. She said, I'll never forget this, preacher. She starts crying and she goes, and you know, Brother Young, she said, I gave him up. And she said, I'm so glad this revival's ending tonight. She said, because if I give up anything else, and here's what she I ain't going to have nothing left. You ever feel like that? Lord, you want this too? You want me to do that? You want me to give that? I can't do that anymore. I got to give this up. If God is first, what you'll find out is you obey God's leading in your life. It'll be well with you. He'll bless you and bless your home. Is God first? When's the last time you prayed about a purchase? Is God first? Lord, should I buy that car? Lord, do you want me to go in debt for this? Lord, I need, will you provide? Is God first? 
One of the greatest things I've ever learned in my life is that God cares about the details of my life. I remember needing a new suit several years ago. It's crazy expensive to buy a decent suit that, that'll hold up when you, you know, crawl on planes and then out of RVs and preaching it every night. But I need a new suit, but I don't have money to buy a new suit. I got homeschool kids and college kids and I don't have the money. don't have the money, I, but I need a new suit. So I prayed about it. Okay, Lord, I need a new suit. You're going to have to provide it for me. My wife loves to shop. My truck gets five malls to the gallon. And uh, Mathley's a serious shopper. Now, let me tell you right now, she's a serious shopper. And, and she loves GW Fashions. You ever been to one of those? She loves GW Fashions. Some people call them Goodwills, you know. And, uh, but we're more sophisticated than that. We call them GW Fashions. And so she drug me to a GW Fashions on the north side of Columbus, Ohio. Come on, honey, let's go shop a little bit. And I went with her. And you know, the men's section's like the size of the piano. The women's section's like the size of this auditorium. People are like, you know, men don't like to shop. No, it just doesn't take us long. We're done. And she's still just barely getting going. You know, she's got a whole building. I got a little section. So I looked at this little section. I'm going to find me an old men's bench, and I'm going to sit down and wait on her. I got to read the men's section. I've been praying for a new suit. There was a brand new suit hanging up at Goodwill, completely altered with the brand new tags on it, a Burberry suit priced at $1,200 on the tag. I've never had a $1,200 suit. I didn't know you could spend that much on clothes. I thought, well, I'll try it on. Went over to the fitting room and closed the door and put on a $1,200 suit that somebody had tailored to my exact size. Legs fit perfectly. It was pleated the way I like them. It had cuffs on it, my perfect length. The waist was perfect. It, they had tailored the suit a little bit so I'd look athletic and bigger than I am, you know. And the sleeves were perfect. I got a $1,200 suit for $12. I have a good God, don't y'all think? Brand new suit for $12 that I had to pay $1,200 worth them all. God bless you, GW Fashions. <laughs> see, God ought to be first in our life. Lord, I got a need. Do you ever set aside money to say, you know what? I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. Is there any evidence in your life that God is first? You want it to be well in your life and well with your children? Then God ought to be first. All right? So here's number one. Know God fearfully. Here's number two. Keep God first. Here's number three. It's found in verse five. And number three is, you ought to love God fiercely. I love how he says it. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. He could have just said, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. That would have been enough. But he's making a point. He could have said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And that would have been fine. But he didn't stop there. He could have said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And we'd have been like, amen. But it didn't even stop there. Notice he goes overboard to make the point. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy might. One author said, with, uh, with your physical life, your mental life, and your spiritual life. Give him everything, physically, mentally, spiritually. Love him with all of it. Love him. In other words, here's what he's doing. He's balancing that statement, fear the Lord your God and keep him first with love the Lord your God fiercely. Because here's what you and I have a tendency to do. You and I have a tendency, now, now, now stay with me, you need to think a moment. You and I have a tendency in our modern Christianity, especially as independent fundamental Baptists, to become legalistic. Well, of course I'm spiritual, I go to church. And I give a tithe. And I don't do this. And I don't do that. You better believe I'm spiritual. 
You can come to church and look as spiritual as day is long with all of your legalistic schedules and systems and to-dos and not to-dos and be a jerk when you get home. Because what the Bible wants us to do is not just do it because we're trying to be all spiritual and check off our to-do list. I read my Bible today, all three chapters. And I said my prayers, check. And I wrote my tithe, check this weekend. Aren't I spiritual? Check. You can do all that and not love God. What the Bible wants you to do here is to love God fiercely. The reason you serve the Lord and fear the Lord and honor God and keep Him first in your life is because you love Him. It's like being married. How many married folks we have in the room? Let me see your hand if you're married. Isn't it great to be married? All right, most of you said amen. The rest of you come back this week. I'll help you. It's great to be married. But you know, marriage isn't legalism because it doesn't work. wouldn't make any sense if I said to my wife, hey, Bethley, you and I need to talk. Bethley, I was reading somewhere that you know, if you and I are going to have a good marriage every day, you and I ought to talk together a few moments. We need to communicate because that would be a good marriage. So I want to tell you what I'm going to do. Every day from 2 o'clock to 2.15, I'm giving you 15 minutes. Go. <laughs> See, that wouldn't work, would it? That wouldn't work at all. And she's a nice girl and all, but she might take a frying pan to my head over that, wouldn't she? That wouldn't work. It wouldn't, legalism doesn't work. There's nothing wrong with a list. Nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I want to be spiritual and I think God wants me to read my Bible every day. Amen. Read it every day. I think I ought to have a prayer life. Amen. Put that on your list and pray every day. I think I ought to have dress standards. I have dress standards and I believe in them. I think we ought to have them. I believe in modesty, don't you? I believe we ought to be modest, don't you? The Bible says that. I think there's all kinds of things we should and should not do. I'm okay with all of that. But if I just go through the motions, aren't I spiritual? Look at the list I'm accomplishing. And I don't love God. The fact of the matter is, I can't have God's blessings in my life. The whole deal is, honey, you know what? I, I love you so much. Let's go on a date and I'll take you out to a coffee shop. We'll sit and drink coffee and we'll, we'll talk. Tell me how your day was. Because I love you. You see the difference in that? God wants you to love him. Do you love the Lord with all your heart? Do you love God with every ounce of your being? Loving God shows up. So loving God brings peace to our life. You know, I love you, Lord. You're good to me. I love you. Doesn't mean life is always easy. Bethany and I, on two different occasions in our life, have held a baby in the maternity ward, and he wasn't alive. You're not supposed to go to the hospital and hold a baby that you can't take home. Never got to pray with those little boys. Never got to play ball with them. Never got to tell them about Jesus. Never got to sing Jesus loves me this I know to them. Life isn't always easy. But you want to know something? Because we loved God, He walked with us through that. Had peace. I can joke about it a little bit now. I got two perfect children. They are perfect. I tell people that. I'm a perfect father to two of my kids. They are absolutely perfect. I have two perfect children. Of course, they're in heaven. But they are perfect. So I, can, I can, my heart healed. Now my wife has an incredible ministry. God took the negative things of our life because we loved him. And things were well with us. Things were well with us. We could trust him. He's a good God. He walks with us through the valleys and the tragedies and the heartaches of our life. He cares about us that much. So he wants it to be well with us. He does. Here's all you got to do. Know him fearfully. Keep him first. Love him fiercely. I need to close here in a few moments. Watch this one right here. By, by the way, by the way, that love God fiercely, 
Love God fiercely. It's why we chose our family verse. We chose a family verse. When we wanted a revival work, we knew our kids are going to go to church every night of their life. In those days, most of our revivals were Sunday through Fridays, Sunday through Fridays, sometimes Sunday through Sundays. We go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, sometimes Saturday night, and again on Sunday, and start all over the next week in another church. We did that all the time. So we said, how are we going to have kids that will love God and know it? So we chose our family verse, Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. You know what we're we going to do? We're going to go to church every night, and we're going to be, it's going to be great. Isn't this great? We get to go to church every night. Isn't this great? If we were in a weird church, we'd say, isn't this great? We get to be with weird people this week. <laughs> we get good stories. We can laugh. We can have a good time. And, and you know, in every church, sometimes you're in a church and they're overly generous. And you're like, boy, isn't this great? We get to serve the Lord. And sometimes we were in a church and, and all of our needs wouldn't be met. We come to the end of the week. We're like, how are we going to get out of town? We didn't, they, we didn't have enough money to get out of town. But the truth of the matter is, that was a chance to serve the Lord with gladness. So you know what? Kids, we're serving the Lord. He's going to take care of us. And we get to see a miracle now. God gave us this offering so he could do a miracle, so we could love him even more. We always tried to serve the Lord with gladness. We didn't always do it. There was a few times where we were like, oh, my word. Can't believe I'm going to do this. I remember last year even. Last year, God was working in my heart about serve the Lord with gladness. And I was coming south out of the north, heading home to Florida. And I was down, it's almost Thanksgiving. I'm heading home. I'm, I've been working hard. I can't wait to get home. And I came across the Tennessee-Alabama line on I-65. And I crawled up the bridge over the Tennessee River and got on top of that bridge, pulling my 40-foot RV, cruising. I'm going home. And I got on top of that bridge and ran out of fuel. I coasted off the bridge. I could see the exit where the truck stop was, right? I could see the sign, and I didn't make it. I'm on the side of the road. <laughs> Nothing you can do. You can either laugh or cry. It's a good thing I jog. Y'all stay right here. Remember this, don't you, kids? So I got out on the side of the interstate and jogged down the interstate to the next exit. Turn right, went to the Amico service station. They had two one-gallon jugs of fuel, you know, uh, jug, uh, fuel cans in there. I bought both of them. The guy behind the counter had the audacity to say to me, did you run out of fuel? I said, no, I'm going to put milk in them. So I bought me two-gallon diesel fuel, and here I go. I'm not jogging now. I'm carrying two-gallon of fuel, walking back up the interstate. And I know what people are thinking. Zroom. I bet he ran out of fuel, you know. You know, life just that way. You know, life's going to have all kinds of ups and downs, but you ought to serve the Lord with gladness. Love the Lord your God fiercely. I got good news. Only got four more points. I'm almost done. These will move quickly. Here they are. Here's number four. You want to have it be well with you and have God's blessings in your life? Number four is a big one. Teach God's word fervently. Look in verse six. And here's what he says. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. In other words, here's what he says. You want God's blessings in your life? It's going to be important that you teach the Word of God and you do it fervently. If there is a massive failure in Christian homes in our generation, this would be one of them. Very few Christian families teach the Word of God in home. 
was in a revival not long ago, not too far from here. And uh, it was an exciting church and a good church. And the pastor's a good friend of mine. He has a bluegrass band in the church. And they sang Sunday morning. And I like bluegrass music. I was raised in the mountains. My wife can't stand it. She, she's a Yankee through and through it. She says it sounds like weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And, uh, but uh, I like bluegrass music. I like that wail on harmony. Y'all know what I mean by that? My daddy does too. Farther along we'll. That's how we sang it when I was a kid. So we liked it. So this group gets up to sing. They sang a song I hadn't heard in years, and I couldn't tell you what it was if I had to, but I remember a line from it. This group, you know, they got a banjo and a guitar, and, and they're all singing, and they weren't singing. They were singing. And uh, this uh, group started singing, and, and they sang this song about Mama's family Bible, Mama reading the family Bible, or Daddy, Daddy reading the family Bible, and Mama singing, Rock of Ages, Cliff for me. My daddy's, daddy's reading the family Bible and mama's singing Rock of Ages. Cleft for me. It's about their, you know, our home, our home. You know, and uh, I, uh, they all got done, you know, singing and people like, woo praise God. woo amen, praise God. And I got up and killed the whole service. <laughs> I got up and I said to the crowd, isn't that a good song? Oh, praise God. I said, uh, how many of you remember the last time the family Bible was read at your house? We went from, woo, to, I killed a whole morning service right there on the spot. Didn't mean to. I just killed, I mean, just ruined it right there. I didn't tell you, just hope, set the whole thing down. But you know something? Their response is indicative of the average Christian family today. It's the truth. Why, if you're an average fundamental Baptist crowd, there's many of you in the room, you don't read the Bible every day. And yet the sixth verse says, if you want it to be well in your life, the Word of God has to be in your heart. That word heart has to deal with your mind, your emotion, your decisions. In other words, in other words the Word of God ought to be so real in my life that I think the Word of God controls my, my mind, controls my emotions. When I make decisions, I base my decisions on what does the Bible say. That's successful Christianity. Most of us don't even know the Bible enough to do that. We read the Bible because we're spiritual. Yep, I read three chapters. But the Bible isn't something we just check off of a list. The Bible was given to us to govern our mind, our emotions, and our decisions. Somebody says, you know, I'm just a worrier. That's just how I am. No, what it means is that you haven't applied the Word of God yet to your emotions. You know, I'm just depressed. That's how I just battle depression. I understand that, and it's a real thing. But you're a child of God, and you have the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Did you know that if you apply the Word of God to your emotions, you can have victory over depression? You can. Here's what the Bible says about it. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, lovely, pure, and of a good report, if there be any virtue in priests, think on these things. My thinking, when I start thinking worldly like the world, oh my word, the world's falling apart, and I can't believe this happened to me, and I can't believe this, and I can't, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, then I become defeated by my emotions. But when I take the word of God, and I hide God's word in my heart, and I begin thinking what the Bible says I ought to think. God, your word says that I am free. Your word says that I can have victory. Your word says that I can have joy. Your word says, your word says, your word says. It starts with you and the Bible. But that's not the end. Every mom and dad and grandfather and grandmother in this room is to take God's word and hide it in your heart, your emotions, your mind, your decisions in such a way that you can turn around and teach it to your kids and grandkids. That's what you're supposed to do. It is amazing how many grandparents are concerned about grandchildren. And I don't mean this to be mean, but you don't remember the last time, if ever, you've taught your grandkids the Bible. I know a lot of families, we're just too busy. We don't have time to teach our kids the Bible. 
Now, there's two ways you can do it. You can do it formally. Get yourself a, go ahead and get yourself a podium if you want to. Come on in, children. Sit down. We're going to learn the Bible. Sit down, sit down. All right, let's open in a song. Amazing. Okay, let's take up an offering. We're Baptists. So you can do it formally. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with formal. Our family has done it formally. Especially when our kids are younger. We, we memorize verses, chapter, we, we, we memorize Psalm 19 one summer together as a family. We read all the way through Genesis, just verses at a time, and talked about it until we got all the way through Genesis. We read through Proverbs when the kids were younger. Uh, we, right now, Jer- Jacob and Charity and I are memorizing the book of James together. And we're, we're working on it. Uh, we, we're through chapter 2, verse 13. And they have to have it by Wednesday. They're getting close. It's harder. Those 13 verses. If we can get through those 13 verses, the rest of it flows more easily. But James 2, verses 1 through 13 are hard. But see, we're doing it formally. And we, we, we're working on it. But here's what the Bible says you need to do. You want to you wanna have a successful family and God's blessings in your home? Here's, here's how you do it. As you're walking through life, he says. As you're sitting in your house. As you're going to bed. As you're getting out of bed. You talk about the Bible. So you're at the mall. You're walking through the mall. You're walking through the mall. You're shopping with your wife or your kids. Charity and I were in the mall the other day in Greenville, South Carolina. And in our revival, we took a morning, went down and had lunch at the mall. And we walked around, did a little shopping at the mall. We were walking through the mall, and there was a store that had inappropriate picture in the, in the window. Charity. Charity goes, hey, Daddy, look over here. Like, well, what is it? I don't, I don't, what? She said, there's a bad picture over there. The reason she knows that is because we've walked through the mall before and said to Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think inappropriately on a woman? I just paraphrase that. It says, why should I think upon a maid? The idea is we taught our boys, look away. We're watching the football game. We love football. I wish Tennessee would do better. But I still love football. And, and we're watching a football game and here cheerleaders come on. 31-1, Job 31, doll 3-1-1. Sitting in our house watching a football game. Look away. We're, we're teaching the Bible. Teaching the Bible. Driving, driving along the interstate and there's a billboard with something inappropriate on it. It's a good time to teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. Watching TV? Watching Andy Griffith. Watching Andy Griffith because we're spiritual. Watch Nanny Griffith, and all of a sudden the door swings open on the jail, and in comes Otis, and he's drunk. Drunks don't come down to the jail and lock themselves up in a cell. That's a bunch of baloney right there. It's good entertainment, it's a bunch of baloney. You see, it's a good time to teach. Moms and dads, you think, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I didn't go to Bible college. You, you went to Bible college, brother young. You know the Bible, but I don't know the Bible. I can't do that. Yeah, but you can sit in your house and watch television and teach your kids the Bible. You can, when you go to bed at night, you can say something about the Bible. You know something, don't you? So I don't know what to do. Then take copious notes while pastor's preaching and talk about it every night before they go to bed. Talk about it. Talk about the Bible. That's what he says here. You want God's blessings in your home, you've got to teach God's Word. And the Word in the Bible is diligently. That's a good word. You know the word diligently, don't you? You ever been out to eat and the waiter was not very diligent? And you waited and waited and waited and you couldn't get your glass refilled and you waited and you waited and you waited and I'm never coming back to this restaurant again. You're wondering why a whole lot of kids walk away from the church and I've never come back to this church again. Because if we're not diligent, we fail. Diligence matters. 
Chick-fil-A has made a fortune by emphasizing diligence. My sons and my daughter, my older three, all worked at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is brutal at times. They have a saying, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. My son made the mistake coming home and telling his mom that, and she was like, that's a good line. Wrote it on the chalkboard. Hey, that's a good line right there. But diligence, I got to close. I got to close. I, I had an aim here, and I'm right at the end of my time. We got to teach God's word fervently. You, wanna, you want God's blessings in your life? You want things to be well in your home with your children, your grandchildren? You've got to know God fearfully. You've got to keep God first. You've got to love God fervently. I, I, I teach God's word fervently and love God fiercely. And I'll just throw these last three at you. If you were to read the rest of this chapter, you'd find out that he says the weirdest things in verses 10, 11, 12, and 13 and following there. And he talks to them about the fact that they're coming into a land. And there's going to be houses they didn't build and they're going to eat food they didn't plant and they're going to enjoy water from wells they didn't dig. And he says, you know what's going to happen to you when I bless you this way? You're going to forget the Lord. So it led me to this statement. You know what he's trying to tell us? Well, I, I guess I skipped that there. God's word ought to be personally real, diligently taught, continually spoken, prominently displayed, and daily lived. But here's that last, that next point. We're to enjoy God's blessings frugally. In the midst of blessings, you know what we tend to do? Forget the Lord. Sometimes the bigger your house and the bigger your bank account and the better your job, you don't need God anymore. You go in debt for things, you charge it, you don't have to pray about it. We're to enjoy God's blessings frugally. Here's the next one. He does say in these verses, and verses 16 and following, that we're to serve God faithfully. That's why moms and dads, you're doing a good thing, being in a revival service on a Monday night to learn God's word. I need to close. I preach too long. There's one more. I love the conclusion of this chapter. He says in verse 20, when your son asks, asketh thee in time to come, saying, what mean the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and showed us signs and wonders. In verse 23, he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land he swear unto our fathers. And in verse 24, the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. And I got to thinking about those, that final paragraph there. Your son's going to come to you and they're going to ask, why? Why do we go to church? Why do we have to wear that? Why can't we go there? Why can't we do that? Why don't, why, 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 what does this mean? Why the preacher say that? Why? And he says, then what you do is you, and here's my last point, you tell them the old, old story frequently. I love the conclusion of this chapter. Your sons and daughters, your grandsons and granddaughters are going to come into your life, and they're going to say, hey, Grandpa, why do you do that? Here's what you do. You tell them a story. See, son said, I got to tell you a story. There was a day that your grandpa was a sinner on his way to hell. And so-and-so told him about Jesus Christ and he heard the gospel and he got saved and God changed your grandpa's life. 
That's why I go to church every Sunday. That's why I read my Bible. That's why I don't do this. That's why I don't do that. That's why I do this. Because there's a Savior named Jesus who rescued me from sin and hell and gave me eternal life. Look what God's done for me. Look what God's, I got a story to tell you. I got a story to tell you. Moms and dads, your sons and daughters are going to come to you and say, why can't we wear that? Hey, sit down, sweetheart. Sit down. I got to tell you a story. There was a time your daddy was a sinner on the road to hell. And God sent Brother Arwood into his life. And Brother Arwood told me about Jesus. And your daddy got saved. And now I'm a child of God. I follow the Lord. I'm on my way to heaven. And that means difference in my life. I'm trying to have God's blessings in my life. That's why we don't wear that. That's why, don't we, we, that's why we don't go see that movie. That's why we don't watch that program. That's why, we, that's why we do this. That's why we pray every night. That's why we have devotions. That's why I'm always on to you to read your Bible. That's why. Because I was a sinner on the road to hell. And Jesus Christ came in and changed my life. And that old, old story made a difference in our family and made a difference in our home, and I want it to make a difference in your life. Here's what you got to do if you're going to have God's blessings and favor. You got to tell that old, old story frequently. Amen. And you know what? Some of you have been saved for years, and you don't remember the last time you told the story. You don't remember the last time. You just, you say, well, I don't know all the answers. My teens ask questions I can't answer. Well, sure they do. But here's what you can do. You can tell them a story. See, I don't know the answer. I got a story for you, though. Your daddy was a sinner. And I'm telling you, I was on the road to hell. And there was a God in heaven who rescued me from sin and hell through Jesus Christ. And I've never been the same. I remember one time asking my grandpa, my grandpa the drunk, my grandpa the moonshiner, my grandpa the meanest man in town, just a wicked, brutal, angry, messed up man. Hey, grandpa, why do you always? I remember what it was about. Why do you always? And my grandpa didn't raise his voice at all. He said, let me tell you a story. That's a drunk. I'd go to the beer joint and get drunk. I'd beat up the kids. I'd waste my whole paycheck. But I went to revival one night. And I heard the gospel. And I got saved. Changed my life. That's why Papa does what he does some. I'll never forget that. I was reading Deuteronomy 6 and thought my grandpa couldn't even read. But he knew the story. Because he'd experienced it. You young mommies and daddies in the building tonight, you're so important. You're so important. You're so important. Your kids and grandkids need you to walk with God and love God and move into Deuteronomy 6 and win. You grandparents in the building tonight, you're so important. Your grandsons and granddaughters need you to have them over and spend time with them and have devotions with them. Teach them the Bible. Tell them the story. You can say amen. I preached too long. But I got a whole chapter in, didn't I? And we started at 6.30 and it's only 8 o'clock. So you can get home and get a good night's rest. I promise I'm going to be shorter one night. I promise. But don't we need to seek the Lord about Deuteronomy 6? Don't you want it to be well in your life? Aren't you concerned about your kids and grandkids? Aren't you concerned about yourself? See, these boys right here, they don't have any kids. They don't have a wife. But there's a God in heaven who cares about these two boys right here. And they can move into Deuteronomy 6. This young man right here can move into Deuteronomy 6 and walk with God and love God and live for God. You can too, son. What about me? Yes, sir, son, you can too. You can move into Deuteronomy 6 and God bless your life. And someday, there's a good chance that someday these three boys right here will have a wife and a family. And right now, if you guys moved into Deuteronomy 6 and started doing what's right, honoring God and keep a clean life and please God, there'll come a day you'll be my age. Hope you look this good. <laughs> there'll, 
There'll come a day. There'll be, you'll be skinnier than me. I don't even know you, son, but I like you. I think he's going to be an evangelist. I'm trying to land this plane. He's keeping it going. He's long-winded, isn't he? But you want to know something? The fact of the matter is, you teenagers back there, the fact of the matter is you're going to be an adult someday. You're going to have a spouse, and now's the time to move into Deuteronomy 6 so that you can have God's blessings in your home someday. This is an incredible chapter. I, uh, I need my wife here. She's the one that always gives me the signal. Bring that plane down, baby. <laughs> Because I preach too long. But may God speak to our hearts tonight. Let's, let's stand together. And let's not even wait for a pianist. A pianist will play a few verses for us before we go. But if God's speaking to you tonight and you want to pray about your life, your family, your children, your grandchildren, then the pianist is coming. But you, you, you go ahead and bow now, would you? Some of you boys, some of you teenagers, why don't you walk down an aisle tonight and give your life to Jesus and say, I'm going to serve God. Is there a teenager in the room that would do that? Is there a teenager that would kneel tonight? Come down an aisle. Make an altar here at the front. Say, I'm going to give. Is there a boy or girl here tonight? You would kneel and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I want to walk with God and please God and honor God. Is there a teenager in the room that would do that? A boy and girl in the room that would do that? Anybody at all in the room tonight that would honor God? She's going to begin playing. Just a couple of verses. You seek the Lord. Grandparents, pray for your grandkids. Mommy, Daddy, pray for your children. Let's, let's believe Deuteronomy 6 is true. You may not have children. You may not even be married. But you can move into Deuteronomy 6 and have God's blessings in your life. God's favor. So kneel for prayer if you should. 